0: Everybody had a great weekend? (laughs) All right, all right, good deal. Are you alive? Check your pulse, I'm here. (laughs) If you're going to be here, let's make the most of it, okay? You can sleep at home. Uh, We had a great weekend. Um, Last night, uh, Teresa and I and some friends uh, went down to the riverfront, walked over the bridge at sunset. And had some ice cream on the other side of the bridge, and gosh, the weather was perfect. You know we just, I think sometimes we take the place we live for granted. Uh, this is just a beautiful place. Lots of wonderful people. Wonderful weekend. And what a great thing to be here this morning. I'm really looking forward to sharing with you what God has been placing on my heart as I'm working through John's gospel. The text I'm reading this morning, I'll confess to you, I've already preached on it three or four weeks ago. But I just couldn't let it go, and it just continues to speak to me. And I want—I want to promise you that if you—you you will just spend the next few weeks of the summer with me, just working through John, just read a chapter a week and chew on it, and read it and and reflect on it. It'll just—it'll bring life to you and uh, this chapter 4 is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well and Jesus encounter with her and the disciples reaction to how uh, they're surprised he's talking to her this is a story we could we could literally spend all summer just unpacking the various parts and elements of this but this morning I've chosen to call the message good better look again. That that can apply to anything in life because things are not always what they seem to be. You can look at someone and make an assumption about who they are but you'd better look again because they they may not be who you think they are. Uh, When it comes to a Bible verse or to a section of scripture you'd better look again. It may not be what you think it is. When it comes to knowing Jesus, you better look again because he may not be who you think he is. And in this story, these disciples look at this woman, and Jesus essentially says, you better look again. She may not be who you think she is. And now my take on the story is, is that um I don't want to appear arrogant in any way this morning, but I think that most through most of Christian history, this woman, uh, this Samaritan woman, has not been accurately portrayed for who she really was, her life circumstance. And as I read this story this last week, some things appeared to me and became plain to me that made me say to myself, You'd better look again. She may not be who you think she is. So so this sermon is really about inviting Christ into our life and to helping us look at the world and ourselves and himself and people in, in a different way. To be born from above, to be born again, to allow his presence and spirit to give us a new perspective on the way we look at the world. In the previous chapter, you hear Jesus talking to a religious professional, and he looks at him and says, you got it all figured out, man. You got it all put down in your box. You, you got the whole world in this little box you've created, but you better look again, and you need to be born again. You, mean, you need to be born from above. Being born again isn't just about eternal life. Being born again, being born from above, is allowing Jesus and the Holy Spirit to open your mind to possibilities, to new worlds, to new ways of thinking to how big his love is. It's challenging. It's amazing how we want to invent a Jesus who looks like us, speaks like us, votes like us, always agrees with us, never challenges us, and always helps us rationalize the decisions uh, that we make. And then how often we use Jesus and weaponize Jesus uh, to wound and hurt those who disagree with us. So I'm going to read now uh, John 4, and then we're just going to spend some time there. Are you with me? All right. Okay, John 4. So it says here that he had to go through Samaria on the way. He's on his way from Jerusalem to Galilee. And eventually he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired From the long walk and sat wearily beside the well about noontime. You need to know that you have a Savior in Jesus who who knows what it's like to be tired. He was a Son of God, but He was also human. He also knew the limits of our human life. Who better to speak to us about our own weariness than one who was weary Himself? And it says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "Please, please, give me a drink." Now he was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to go buy Chick Fil A to buy some food. <laughs> See, they had Chick Fil A in Samaria too. Chick Fil A's everywhere, <laughs> just not open on Sunday. And the woman was surprised. I don't know, that's funny to me. It may not be funny to you, but it's good. that I don't care if you enjoy this as long as I enjoy myself. (laughs) I don't even care if you're in the room, you know. (laughs) The woman was surprised, for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And that made me think about every time we walk in this room and every time we come in for worship, you know, we have access to the author of life, to the creator of the universe, to infinite possibilities. And sometimes we come in and we don't ask. We don't ask for life. We don't ask for help. We don't ask for his presence. We don't ask for his spirit. You know, sometimes I think we come in and we're content to taste the stale, dead water of dead religion and doctrine when he wants to give us life. And, and you know, you can't give away what you don't have. If your bucket's not full, you have nothing to offer. He wants to fill your bucket this morning. Anybody thirsty this morning? Anybody got an empty bucket this morning? And he says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And she said, and this well is very, very deep. Where are you going to get this living water? And I I love this. I love this part of the story. Because the woman says, where are you going to get a bucket? You don't even have a bucket. And he he says to her, uh, he says, I don't need a bucket. You're my bucket. (laughs) I'm going to give you a different kind of water and I'm going to fill you up. And I want you to know this morning, everybody in this room, that our Savior Jesus has an unlimited supply of the Spirit. He is an abundant, life-giving Savior. And you're on his bucket list. He wants to fill your bucket. You see, the kind of love and the grace that we're talking about is something that we see all the way back at the beginning of this book. At the beginning of this book, it said that Jesus was the word of God that came to live among us to bring his unfailing love and goodness to all people. And that when you see Jesus, you see God, and he comes in abundance. I mean, when I talk about abundance, when we read John's Gospel, we're talking about 180 gallons of vintage wine abundance. We're talking about the kind of abundance that can take two fish and five loaves and feed thousands of people. We're talking about the kind of abundance that can take an empty net of tired disciples and fill it so full of fish it takes five boats to haul it in. We're talking about the kind of abundance that will show up with a ring, a robe... A fatted calf and a party for a prodigal son kind of abundance. We're talking about the kind of, I'm going to start preaching now and I'm not even started. I'm talking about the kind of abundance that cooks fish on the beach for a group of disciples who have betrayed him and abandoned him in his time of need. You think he doesn't have enough for you. All you got to do is show up with your bucket and he's going to fill you up. And he says, and besides, let me take a breath. Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Now let me comment on this. You see, the Gospel of John was written very, very late. It was the last Gospel written. And it was written at a point around 90 A.D. when the Christian community had been expelled from the synagogue and they were separating themselves. There had always been this tension within the early church. Are we going to be a predominantly Jewish sect, Christianity, a form of Judaism, or are we going to be a worldwide religion? And when Jesus gave the great commission to the disciples, he said, go into the ends of the earth. You're going to go even through Samaria. You're going to go to Rome and beyond to the ends of the earth. And by the time John was written, the church had separated itself. And all through the Gospel of John, you see Jesus is having these interactions with these Jewish leaders. And you go back to the second chapter where uh, he has these seven earthen vessels, which were for rites of purification. And Jesus takes them and uses them for his purposes and puts them full of wine, showing the inadequacy of the law to save us that you can have the law, you could have the Torah, but still not have the Spirit. And then in chapter 2, he meets Nicodemus, who had God down in a box, who had it all figured out. And then Jesus says, no, you got to be born from above, you got to have the Spirit. And then here in chapter 3, it's talking about Jacob's well, and he's saying that Christianity is going to be a bigger world religion, and that you can have the Torah and live by the law, but still not have the Spirit. And and Jesus, Jesus is, is, is demonstrating this. John is showing this. And then Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. What he's saying is that you can have religion and you can keep doing, doing, doing on your own. But you can't fill your own bucket. He said, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And the woman says, well, I want this water. You give me this water, I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here and get water. And then Jesus says, go get your husband. Jesus told her this, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Uh, You certainly, you certainly spoke the truth. And the woman said, sir, you must be a prophet. So let, let me talk about this well this morning. Let me tell you something about this well. You know, at that place in your life that seems like the deepest darkest hole in your life, at that place where you're the most thirsty, at that place in your life where you're going through a hard time, I just want to tell you, if you'll just go sit down by the well, you can be sure he's going to pass through. That place where you're thirsty in life is the place where you're going to connect with the one that loves you the most. You see, we think our thirst, we think our emptiness is an indication that God is not near. We think that our thirst or emptiness or being worn out or tired by life. You know, you're going through an emotional slump in your life. It could be your work. Could be a moral struggle. Could be a relationship. It could be having kids. It could be the inadequacy of being a parent, wanting to be the best parent that you can be, but then not measuring up to your expectations or the expectations of your parents. It can be anything. Life is just hard. We get thirsty. We lack hope. You see, we look at our thirst. We look at... The hard, monumental task that we face, we find ourselves at the noontide of our life when it's hot and it's troubled and we're worried and we wonder, where is God? I want to tell you where God is. He's on his way to where you are. Just as he had to pass through Samaria with a personal touch for this woman, he has to pass through your life. And if you sit there near that well long enough with a sense of expectation, he's going to come by. Let me tell you how that happens. You pick up this word and you just read this story over and over again. You say, Lord, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty for hope. I'm thirsty for acceptance. I'm thirsty for belonging. I'm thirsty for meaning. I'm thirsty for peace. I'm thirsty for healing. I'm thirsty for spirit. I'm just thirsty, Lord. I'm dehydrated. I'm thirsty. Would you come? And you just read this text over and over again. Maybe by day five or day six, he shows up and he just shows you something and he hydrates your spirit. But you got to acknowledge your thirst, you got to acknowledge your need, you got to be willing to sit down and pause and wait for him beside that well. And then at some point what will happen is your friends will look at you and they can tell you're different. Maybe it's not that your circumstance has changed. Maybe the same temptation is there. Maybe the same trouble is there you're, you're just the same spouse is there <laughs> the same job is there the same boss is there but you got something different when people look at you they can tell you there's something different about you they can see that you've been in the presence of some life-giving spirit and some kind of thing and that's what happens in the story the woman goes back and they can tell she's different what's different about you so so let me move along in the story. Is anybody with me this morning? I feel like preaching this morning. I could go on for hours, but then you'd pass out. So here's what happens. I love, this is the part of the story that really is feeding me. So Jesus is talking with this woman. And here come the disciples. They got the Chick-fil-A. They're carrying the sacks. They got their chicken sandwiches and their waffle fries. And they see Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman. And they drop their waffle fries in the sand. They're shocked. What are you doing talking to a Samaritan woman? Because it says in the scripture Jesus had to pass through Samaria. You see, Jerusalem was here, Galilee's here, Samaria's in the middle, and good Jews didn't go, they didn't go through Samaria, they went around Samaria. And by going through Samaria, Jesus is demonstrating a very important point. He's saying to them that Christianity is not going to be restricted to people like us. That, that Christianity and the gospel is going to transcend cultures. That when the Holy Spirit comes, we're going to send the presence of the gospel to the whole world, to the ends of the earth, to Samaria. From Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. That the gospel cannot be confined to one race, to one ethnicity, one gender. All these kinds of things. He's demonstrating this to the disciples. And he's saying the Samaritan people are just as worthy of my love as anybody. I'm here for everyone. But the disciples, they don't get it. They're shocked. They're stunned. Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? My point is that it is always a great temptation that we face to create a Jesus who's a mirror image of ourselves. And if we are not careful, we'll end up creating a Jesus who resembles a suburban, middle-income, Chick-fil-A eating sandwich Jesus. If we're not careful, we'll end up turning Jesus into an urban his, hipster who only hangs out at local coffee shops with a soul patch and skinny jeans. I don't care what anybody says, Jesus didn't wear no skinny jeans. If we're not careful, we're going to turn Jesus into a PETA activist and we'll turn Jesus into an NRA advocate. The temptation we always face is to want to weaponize the Bible and to use Jesus to defend our life and our lifestyles and our way of life. And to create a Jesus that always agrees with us and to create a Jesus that looks just like us. And so Jesus, he looks at them, and you know what he says? He says, my purpose my nourishment comes from doing the will of my father and finishing the work that he's given me that's where my food comes from now they don't understand they think he's already gone down to chipotle and gotten a burrito and he's full but what he's saying is what feeds my i'm not driven by anybody's prejudices i'm not driven by anybody's agenda I don't have a travel agent that tells me where to go. I'm not driven by the need to be popular. I'm not driven by the need to be liked. I'm driven by a higher agenda. I'm driven by the love of my God for all of his creation. And my purpose is not to use religion to divide people, but to use my love to bring people together. I've come here to reconcile enemies. I've come here to love people, to love my enemies, and to bring this world together under me and under my grace and to fill all people with my spirit. Now, i got to tell you, you got to know this, that if you choose to follow Jesus, you're going to end up hanging out with people that other people think are sketchy. I mean, look at who you're sitting next to. Come on, you're sitting over there next to Tom Poston. He's sketchy. He's not even wearing socks. <laughs> you know, you're gonna end up hanging around people that are gonna offend the people who belong to the local ministerial association. So we hold this host this event called the, the Global Leadership Summit. And last year, we had it broadcast in here and people all over the world and because I'm I believe that we should love our enemies and pray for those who are different from us and we should reach out to people and it's better to be kind than just to be right you know I reached out to some members of the Muslim community invited them here and we had an unapologetic Christian event but they came because I was kind and invited them and we set up a prayer room a prayer room and rolled out a carpet for them. We rolled out the carpet for them and gave them a place to pray. And then I got an email from someone, uh, another minister, who basically said, you know, I can't believe that a Christian church would have a prayer room for da 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 and they went on and on and on. It wasn't the nicest note I've ever received. And normally when I get an email like that, I just say thank you and send it back and don't try to discuss anything. But, but this time I got a little fire in my belly. And I sent him back a note, and I said, what I want you to do is I want you to send this email to everybody on your list, to everybody you know. I want you to put it on the Facebook. I want it to go viral. I want everybody in the whole world to know, because I'm happy to know what you said to me, because I want the whole world to know that David Emery loves Muslims. I'd be glad for the whole world to know that. Spread the word. And so he goes on, and then here's what he says. He says, He says, This is the harvest. This is the harvest. What the disciples see is a problem, he sees a harvest as a harvest. You know, right now in the world we live in, we think that, gosh, my gosh. My gosh, this world we're living in right now, it's a bad time to be the church. No, this is the best time to be the church because all around me I see thirsty people because stuff that used to work for us isn't working for us anymore. Religion's not working. Politics isn't working. People are divided and people are thirsty. And Jesus is saying those people that you look at, you better look at again because you better look at them again because they're not a problem. There's the harvest. Because what I'm going to do is, is I'm not going to use the institutional church to bring the gospel to the world. I'm just going to take sketchy people and I'm going to fill their bucket and they're going to go home and pour their spirit out. People are going to look at them and say... There's something different about it. You. you better look at them again. There's something different about them. they got something in them, and I want what they have. It says so this woman went back to her hometown and did what the disciples couldn't do, did what the local religious establishment couldn't do, poured herself out. The whole town came to see Jesus and got their buckets filled too. That's the kind of spirit I'm looking for. So let me tell you about this woman. You know, we say that woman's a thirsty woman, right? We know what that means means one man wasn't enough, so she had to get another man. That man wasn't enough, so she had to get another one. Let me tell you, preachers have been, for centuries, been calling this woman a loose woman, but that's not who she was. It's a misreading of the text. You better look again. She was a victim. She wasn't a vamp. Women were not allowed to initiate their own marriage, nor could they initiate a divorce. If a woman's husband died, they would be married off to the brother. Imagine, ladies, if you're husband died, and you had to marry your awful brother-in-law. In fact, in the Old Testament, you read uh, women had no power, no influence, and if a woman, a young woman, a young man's, a man's daughter was raped by another man, they did not execute the man that raped the woman, but instead what they would do is the father would receive a payment on behalf of his daughter who was now spoiled property, and they'd be forced to marry the man. In fact, if you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, do you know what happens in that story? You want to know how women were treated in the Old Testament in, in these times, the way women were considered? In this time in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, what happens is some angels show up to visit Lot, and some men from the town come and want to brutalize and rape the members, the, the, the angels that have come to visit Lot. And what does Lot do? He says, hey, leave these folks alone. Here, have my daughter instead. That's the world they lived in. You see, this woman had been passed down from one man to another. She was a victim. And there's no mention of sin in the story. Jesus is not coming to redeem a sinful woman. He's coming instead to humanize a woman. He's coming to see a woman for who she is. He's saying, you better look again. She's not what you think, church. And the church, we just keep doing it to this woman again and again. You see, that's what the gospel does. The gospel looks at people and sees people as people and sees below the surface. And when we do that, we don't have to have fancy preachers. We don't have to have great gospel choirs. We don't have to have PowerPoint, nice facilities, great parking, great grounds, great flowers, important people all we got to do is just point people to the one who gives life and the one who gives water and do his will and do his purpose i don't have to worry about what anybody thinks about me or what i do i just have to do the will of the father who sent me and finish his work you know if i keep preaching inclusion i'm going to preach our church down to about 10 people right but, but i'm just going to do the will of my father and that's what drives me and that's the food that feeds me and i got to tell you i'm thirsty i'm thirsty for the savior who wants to bring grace to all people